heels and some over the hills and sometimes tripled at the steels. But then one day a rattlesnake bit the oldest boy, big wicked Jake, and through his veins the virus flew and they said, he's gonna die, what can we do? So they sent a runner into the town to fetch, fetch and haste the parson down. He was a Dutchman of John Wesley's band, as fine as in the, in the land, and he prayed a wondrous, curious prayer with words of faith so rich and rare. And whether in heaven his prayer reached or not, on earth he surely struck its spot, for he said, Lord, I wanna thank you for that snake that you just sent to bite old Jake to bring him down from his high horse and lead him to the Savior's cross. Now, Lord, he never would repent until that blessed snake you sent, never would change his wicked ways until you sent that providence today. So now, oh God, the great I am, would you send another snake to bite his brother Sam? <laughs> and Jack and John, the worst of snakes, Lord, we need more rattlesnakes. And Send the biggest on the globe to bite their daddy, Jake and Job, and Lord, his wife, she needs one too. I guess a copperhead might do. Send chicken snakes to bite all of those gals and their dancing frolicking pals, but Lord, before it's too late, won't you hurry up those gospel snakes and save this old Kentucky state for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it might take a rattlesnake to start a revival. You never know. Heard about a Pentecostal church many years ago. A lady was playing the old upright piano, rinkety old upright piano, and a mouse run out from under the piano, and she was rodent phobic and jumped up on the piano bench and started screaming and flaying her arms, and they thought the Holy Ghost had come on her, and revival broke out in the whole church just because a mouse come running out of the piano. I say, Lord, send one tonight. There he goes. Amen. Well, we're glad to be here tonight. What a great day to be alive. What a great day to be in Albert Lee, Minnesota. Man, we're having a wonderful time. Want to start off tonight. Well, we had it up there loaded, but we're going to start off tonight with a video. And this is just really short, about a minute long, but I think you'll enjoy seeing this. It's loud out here. I hope you can hear me. We've just seen a great miracle on this platform. This brother is 90 years old, and all of his life, he's walked with this cane. He's not been able to walk without it. He's had a bad leg all of his life, but Jesus has healed him tonight. At 90 years of age, he's able to walk and praise God. Hallelujah. Walk, my brother. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Can you say praise the Lord for God? Touching somebody 90 years old, praise the Lord. I'm not nearly 90. I know he can touch me. How about y'all? Amen. Well, our websites are up there on the screen, and you talked about those yesterday. Oh, Brother Dan, we're going to have to start it over again. The remote's stuck. Yep. Technology, it's a wonderful thing. See, it's gonna work. We ask you to please remember to pray for us when you pray. We have prayer cards back at the back and, and one of them is just a prayer card for our ministry, tells about what we're doing and the other one is strictly for our Ethiopia Crusades. 
pray for our Ethiopia ministry. We, we print about 500,000 handouts that look like this. They're bigger than this, but about 500,000 handouts and, and uh, 10 or 20,000 big posters that advertise the meetings, and, and God blesses it in such a remarkable way. This is our 2016 crusade. The, the greatest meeting we've had in Ethiopia was in 2012. We were in a place called Meta Kenya. And uh, every time someone gives their heart to Jesus, we give them one of these little books. And it has a place in the back of it for them to fill out their name and address and follow up for the local churches. And it tells them a little bit how to serve Jesus, what you need to do now that you're a Christian. And uh, we gave out all of the books we had on Saturday night. Sunday's usually the biggest day of the meetings, but we ran out of these books on Saturday night. We'd given out 42,000 of these books on Saturday night to 42,000 people that had confessed Christ as their Savior that week. That's about double plus what's the population of Albert Lee, Minnesota. 40,000 plus people received Christ, and we just give God the glory for it. I, I've been preaching 52 years. When I first started preaching as an evangelist, the first year or two I was on the field, I preached 323 times, 323 times. We'd have revival, start on Sunday and go through Friday night and start the next Sunday and do the same thing again. A lot of times have service even on Saturday night, never, never miss a night. We don't do that much anymore. These meetings, even Wednesday through Sunday, or Sunday through Wednesday, are, are more and more scarce for evangelists. Most of the churches want to have revival do it on Sunday morning, that's about the end of it. I don't preach as much as I did 50 years ago, but I'm reaching more people today for Jesus than I've ever reached for him in my life. And I'm, I know I'm playing here in the last quarter, and it's a blessing to see God saving so many people. I'm going to ask uh, Linda to come up tonight and, and uh, share a little bit about Ethiopia. She uh, goes with me on these trips, and we're going to go back in January. Please pray over the over the crusade. If you want to join us sometime for a crusade, we'd love to take you with us. We take a team with us every time, and, and it's marvelous the things that God does. But did my beautiful wife, Linda, would you make her welcome tonight? Thank you. Never thought, as he says, the fourth quarter of my life would be what it has turned out to be. Uh, I've been blessed. This is the this last February was the third time that I've been able to go with him to Ethiopia. We've only been married, it'll be three years in, Jan in July. Um, it's the most incredible experience of my life. I've been blessed to be able to travel some before we married. Since we married, I think we've been in 11 different countries if I'm not losing count. And like he referred to the other night, we put about 90,000 miles on the new van uh, since we married. So I, I can't even count the states that we've been in. But going to Ethiopia is a phenomenal experience. Um, it's about a 20, 24-hour trip to get there by the time you count the time you're in the airport and layovers. As we get older, each time we keep saying, why do we do this? <laughs> but then you get there and you walk out on that crusade field and you see tens of thousands of people gathered there, hungry to hear the word of God. And as 
Pastor Ryan just talked about expectant. They're expecting something to happen. You know, they have maybe walked five, ten miles to get there. You don't stop at Burger King and have a burger and then sleep over at the Holiday Inn. I mean, these people walk and then walk home, and some of them come back the next night. There's so many different languages and dialects in Ethiopia that many of these people don't even have a Bible that is written in their dialect that they can read. So what he's doing there, what God is doing, is the Bible that they're reading. And like I say, it's, it's hard to get people to come out for revivals. I know probably a lot of you have invited people and they haven't necessarily come. But those people, like I say, will travel for miles and miles on foot to get there. And they're expecting, they're expecting miracles. They're expecting healings. They're expecting uh, to be blessed. Um, these are happy people. I mean, the Ethiopian people are such a breath of fresh air. They have nothing, but they're happy. I mean, you hardly ever see one of them without just a big old smile on their face. And they look at us and think that we're blessing them by traveling and spending our money to get there to minister to them. But they're the ones that are blessing us when you see what they have and what they're like and the hunger. Um, possibly the greatest revival that's going on in the world today is in Ethiopia. More people are being converted than probably any place else. Uh, this last year, we, the crowds grew to about 30,000, and that's a small group uh, compared to what we normally preach to. But um, we were under the shadow of a mosque. Uh, Islam has a very strong influence there. The Orthodox religion has a very strong influence. A lot of the people that came to the meetings, uh, at the end we asked them to come up to receive one of the books or to raise their hands so an usher can get to them. We didn't see a lot happening, but uh, after the uh, meeting was over, they were going behind the platform to profess Christ and to receive their book. Um, there's just, like I say, a lot of repercussions there for accepting Christ. Uh, family issues, I mean, it, it's, it's not something that we can really understand, a lot of persecution. Uh, I wasn't raised Pentecostal. Uh, this has been all new to me for the last three years. So I wasn't used to seeing the miracles that we see there on the field in Ethiopia. And I think that's one of the phenomenal things to me. Um, we've seen many blind eyes opened, many deaf, deaf ears opened borders the size of your fist disappear. This last year, uh, one lady had come forward. She had a hospital bracelet on her wrist and ports in her veins where they were getting ready to start chemo on her. She had breast cancer in both breasts. And basically the hospital had just told her there wasn't anything that they could do. And they were gonna try the chemo just to do something. She came back, um, she was at one meeting, came back, I don't remember if it was the night after or two nights after, but she came up and testified that the tumors were gone in both of her breasts. 
um, one man, he came up and he had had back issues for years and years and was able to, unable to bend and to really move and, and walk properly. And he came up and told us his back had been healed. He was jumping up and down, bending down, touching his toes. I mean, just elated. And the next night, as we were walking to the crusade grounds, he stopped us. And he said, remember me? I came up on the platform last night, and my back had been healed. And he was a professor at the university there. He showed us his university card. Um, it's just phenomenal, really, what's going on there. And the reception that we receive, we're always so welcomed and so well taken care of. Um, like I said, it's probably the most phenomenal thing that I get to do during the year, and it's, it's not because of luxury com accommodations. The accommodations are very lacking, but it's a wonderful trip, and it's all worth it. I'd encourage each of you, if you've never been on a foreign mission uh, trip, to try to go once in your lifetime. Uh, we'd be happy for you to go with us. We love to take people. Um, they all receive a blessing from it. I, I really think we took six people last year, and I think it's a very good possibility that about four of them are going back with us next year. But um, it is a blessing. Uh, you'll be blessed. Your life will be changed from now on. And uh, like I say, whether you go with us or whether you go with someone else, it doesn't matter. Uh, just try to do that if you're at all physically able um, it is a blessing, and like I say, it's a life-changing experience. I'm so, I feel so blessed and honored that the Lord has done this in my life. So, thank you. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, you've been so gracious to visit our book table in the back. We thank you for that. Uh, we want to say thank you for your giving. Jesus said go. We're willing to go. and Your offerings help send us to the nations. And we thank you for giving and just your, your generosity and the generosity of the church and your hospitality and taking care of us. And Linda made a lovely dinner for us tonight and we enjoyed that. And, and if you make dinner for us tomorrow night, and I don't remember your name, it's because it's not Linda. I can remember that one. <laughs> I might not remember otherwise, but uh, we sure do thank you so very much. Let me show you some signs tonight. I thought these were kind of funny. You might enjoy them. How many can smile? Is it all right to smile in church? I like that. No birds allowed. see something like that just scratch your head <laughs> we've got a place in Houston called Larry's original Mexican food <laughs> now if it's Larry's original there's got to be another Larry's how many Larry's Mexican food could there be
If you can't read those, uh, evenings at 7 in the parish hall, Monday, Alcoholics Anonymous, Tuesday, Abuse Spouses, Wednesday, Eating Disorders, Thursday, Say No to Drugs, Friday, Teen Suicide Watch, Saturday, Soup Kitchen, Sunday, Sermon, America's Joyous Future. <laughs> All right. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of First Timothy tonight. Thank you for coming tonight. I wasn't sure you would come back. Really, I wasn't sure you would come back. You haven't had a revival in a long time and additional services to the week. And wow, look at this crowd tonight. I think that's a phenomenal for Monday night. Praise the Lord. I did. We went to a Chinese place, but I had chicken. We think it was chicken. It said meow when I bit into it, but I think it was chicken. There's a cat in the kettle at the Peking moon, they say. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Y'all stop this nonsense. I got to preach. Paul said, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. How many of y'all believe these are the last days? When it looks like everything is falling apart, it's really all coming together. Have you ever noticed you drain the plug in your bathtub and you don't notice the water going out until it gets close to the bottom? And when it gets close to the bottom, you see this swirl and the closer it gets to being empty, the bigger the swirl gets. The reason the world looks like it's in such a mess today is we're in the swirl. We're running out of time, folks. Jesus is coming. Oh, I know you've heard that again and again and again, but let me tell you one more time, Jesus is coming. Amen. What I'm going to preach to you about tonight is what if Jesus came today? What if before we left this service tonight, the trump of God were to sound. It's possible. There's nothing yet to happen except the trumpet. What if he came tonight? Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for bringing us together again for this service of worship and praise and preaching and testimony. Lord, we thank you for it. We ask you, Lord, that you would anoint the preaching of the word tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to preach with authority. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to preach with compassion, but Lord, let us preach with power and conviction. Lord, change lives tonight. I pray that every single person sitting in this room would be different when they leave here because they've had an encounter with you. In Jesus' name and for his glory and everybody said, Amen. I showed you those pictures of funny signs because I want to talk about signs tonight. There are signs that Jesus is coming. One man said you don't have to have half good sense and one good eye to know that Jesus is coming. Look at the signs. Look what's happening around us. When you're driving down the highway, we went over to Austin. Yes. We did go to the Spam Museum today. <laughs> I noticed a sign when we was 
on the way and it said Austin, I think 13 miles, 15 miles. We knew we were getting closer because there was a sign there. And we know we're getting closer to the coming of the Lord because there are biblical signs. He said these things would happen before I came. There's lots of stuff. Well, there's some stuff people make up. I, I'm not worried about blue moons and red moons and full moons and half moons. I, I think there's some clearer things than that. Some very clear signs. One of those things that Jesus said would happen, he said, in the last days before he'd come back, it would be like it was in the days of Lot. Well, if you've studied the book of Genesis, you know that Lot lived in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah was a city given over to homosexuality. I'm not a homophobe and I don't hate anybody, but I can tell you tonight that homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin. God didn't make... Adam and Steve, he made Adam and Eve. But we live in a time where the perversion of homosexuality has become an accepted practice in our world today. If you had told me 10 years ago, I'm saying if you'd have told me 10 years, in 2009, that, that marriage between men and, men and men and women and women would be permitted in the United States of America, I would have said to you, not in my lifetime. It might happen someday, but not in my lifetime, but it is a reality today. You can't turn the television on without every sitcom having some token homosexual, homosexual in the program. We see it in our schools. It's being pushed on us. I, I remember we were witnessing to some people one night or one day in, in Joplin, Pensacola, Florida, when I was living in Pensacola, and one lady was giving out tracts, and she said, people keep trying to give me these. She said, you keep trying to push your religion down my throat. She said, I'm not trying to push my lesbianism down your throat, but I thought, oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. In every public school classroom, in our political agenda, in every way, they're pushing it down our throats today because we are living in a time that what Jesus said would happen is happening. It's not just an accident that 40 years ago, the first homosexuals came out of the closet and marched on the streets in Greenwich Village. It's not just an accident. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a sign that Jesus is coming. It says in the book of Daniel, in the last days, knowledge would increase. Knowledge would increase. Who could question today that knowledge is on an exponential curve upward? Look at your house and think of the things you have in your house that your grandparents didn't have in theirs. I was with Brother Jimmy Swaggart some time back and he was talking about in the 80s they spent a million dollars on a computer to process their mailing list. A million dollar computer and then they built a million dollar building to hold the computer. And he held up his cell phone and said and everything that computer would do I can do with this phone today. Think about that. It used to be the stuff of Dick Tracy and science fiction that you talked on your watch and now we can do those things. We live in an incredible time of technology. When I, when I was a kid in school, they said in science class that 
that heat was generated by rubbing molecules together. And I knew that wasn't true. Heat was generated when you struck a match and lit a fire. You know what I'm saying? But you've got a microwave oven in your house and all you do is push a button and it rubs the molecules together and your frozen food thaws out and then it cooks right there before your eyes without ever striking a match. It's, it's the technology. It's the age we're living in. Now, I didn't say, I didn't say people were wiser. I said that knowledge is increased. As knowledge goes up, wisdom goes down. We have more stupid, smart people today than the world has ever seen. We've got educated idiots. Don't look at me funny, they're running our government. <coughs> I got a, I got a message from somebody, oh, I don't know, 25 years ago probably. And they said to me, do you have fax? Do you have email? I wrote them back and I said, I have no fax. I have no email. Do you have telegraph or smoke signals? <laughs> How many of y'all feel like that you're a smoke signal person living in an email world? You know what I'm saying? It seems like that all of this technology, it just seems like it's, it's passing right by at a rapid rate of speed. It is not an accident that these things are happening now. It is not an accident that, that we see this increase of, of the internet and, and all that that is brought to the world. That's not an accident. Jesus or the word of God said it was gonna happen. It's a sign that he's coming. He said men would run to and fro across the face of the earth in the last days. That was written 2,500 years ago. 250 years ago, there was no change in transportation from the day that was written until that day, 200 years ago. And then they invented the steam engine and then they began to lay tracks across the world and people began to travel on trains and then automobiles and then airplanes until today a, a trip that 150 years ago would take you 30 days to, to take a trip can make it in six hours today. The average family, your great-grandparents traveled an average of 200 miles a year. Some of you commute that far to work every week. It's the last days, folks. He said in the scripture that I read, perilous times are coming. Who could question that we are living in perilous times? I was in our little hometown, Comanche, Oklahoma, April the 19th. How many years ago has that been? My brother was the city manager of the town, and he told me, he said, something big has happened up in Oklahoma City I was on my way to Joplin, Missouri. I lived there then and I was passing through Oklahoma City and I turned on the radio and began to listen. They said some kind of explosion. At that point, I didn't know what it was and the news became to come out that it was a bomb blast down at the Murrah Federal Building. And I went down there as, as volunteered with the Red Cross to go down to that building. And I, I've never seen anything like it. The devastation, the hole blowed in that building it was surreal. You walked on broken glass and there was helicopters and emergency vehicles, but it was just like there was a deathly silence over the place. And we thought, what in the world could be worse than that? And then we saw those terrorists fly those planes into the World Trade Center and we saw those planes fall and now we see gunmen come into our schools and murder our innocent children and we see them coming into churches now and murdering innocent people in church. These are perilous times. 
These are perilous times. All of these things are pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming. You better get ready. And that brings me to the first question of the evening. What if Jesus came tonight? Would you be ready? Would you be ready? I don't mean, do you think you're ready? I mean, do you know that you're ready if he came tonight? I was raised in Pentecost in a time when we lived with a rapture expectancy. We preached about the rapture. We sang about the rapture. Every song we sung, by the time we got to the fifth verse, there was something in there about Jesus coming back. When people testified, they testified about the coming of the Lord. And now when we're on the very threshold of his coming, we never hear a song about it. We never hear a testimony. It's almost as if the world has gone quiet. Somebody needs to get on the top of a roof and shout to the top of their voice, Jesus is coming. We live with such a rapture expectancy. I remember coming home from school. My mama didn't work outside the home until I was a teenager. Coming home from school and going in the house and House was never locked. Why would you lock your house? But coming in the house and mama wasn't there and, and you have this feeling. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You have this feeling, uh-oh. What if Jesus came and I missed it? Mm. Go to the telephone and dial 2776. That's all you had to dial in Comanche when I was a boy. Dial 2776 and grandma said hello and I knew I was okay. If, if grandma didn't make it, it wasn't no rapture. You know what I'm saying? She's going to be there. I used to work after school. When I was in high school, I worked after school sweeping the halls. And uh, I know that's a nerdy job, but I'd make, I don't know, remember a dollar a quarter, I think, a day. And you could go to Dark Lark's Dairy Lane and get a hamburger and a Coke and French fries for 65 cents and get two gallons of gas for 35 cents down in Oklahoma and drag Maine all night and eat your hamburger and French fries for a dollar. It was a, it was the, that was the thing, you know. And, and I, I was sweeping the schools and, and, you know, it don't take kids long to get out of school. Have y'all ever noticed that? You ever notice how quickly, how much more quickly they can get out of school than you can get them in? How much quicker they can get home than, you know what I'm talking about. Well, the bell rings and it don't take long for the halls to empty. And, and I was with a friend of mine and uh, we were walking down the hall together and I come to the closet where the brooms and stuff was and I turned off in the closet and there's kids everywhere, you know, school bell just rung. And I turned off in the closet and I got my stuff and I come out. When I come out, the halls are empty, you know, all the kids are gone. But this kid's still standing there. And he said, I mean, he's ashen white. He said, where did you go? Where did you go? And I told him, and he thought, we were walking down the hall together, and he didn't see me go in that closet. He thought Jesus had come. I'd been caught up, and he'd been left in the hall by himself. He's standing in the hallway, shaking. Y'all are laughing. If you ever had this experience, you wouldn't be laughing. It wasn't funny. But we lived with this expectation that Jesus could come right now. 
Oh, saints, if ever anyone ought to live with an expectation that Jesus could come tonight, you better do it now because he could come tonight. The trumpet could sound before this service is over and if it sounded, would you be ready? Would you be ready? <laughs> My old pastor used to say, a lot of people singing, standing on the promises gonna be left sitting on the premises because not everybody's ready. Not everybody's going in the rapture. Not everybody in church is going in the rapture. I've got a feeling that there are churches that, I had one evangelist tell me one time, he knew he'd preached in churches that if the rapture took place, the pastor would be the only one that would have gone and he wasn't sure about that. I'm telling you all the truth tonight. If Jesus came tonight, would you be ready? What if the trumpet sounded? Would you know, do you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you'd be caught up out of this place right now? If Jesus, do you know that? You say, well, I know I'm better than so-and-so. That's not the qualification for going. Being better than your neighbor is not the qualification for going. I heard about some guys that's working in a stable. Minnesota folks know about that. Guys are working in a stable, and you know, the cows leave residue. And they're working in the stable, shoveling residue. And you know, you get that stuff on you. It's not so bad when it's dry, but when it's fresh, you get that stuff on you, and it's nasty and smells. And guys are wired different from women. Guys can be working in the middle of that and stop and eat a sandwich without even washing their hands. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. And these guys are working in this stable and they're okay, you know. They all smell. They're all dirty. It's okay. Nobody feels bad. But imagine with me that one of those men is lifted up out of that stable and he's set down in a church and he's standing at his daughter's wedding and he's standing there about to give his daughter away she's standing there all dressed in pristine white the bride's so beautiful and he looks down at himself and he says oh look at me what am I doing here in this kind of a mess what am I doing here with all this junk on me what, what am I doing in this place looking like this that's exactly what it's going to be like when a lot of people are put not from this world, not from their friends, not from their associates or their neighbors, but when they're put in the pristine environment of heaven and they're in the presence of a holy God. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about a God that's holy and you're going to look at yourself and you're going to say, why am I looking like this? What, what am, are y'all listening tonight? had a friend, pastor in North Carolina, did a remodel in his bathroom and he's just going to repaint one wall and he thought the wall was white, so he painted it white. When he found out he painted it white, it wasn't white. The rest of the bathroom was off-white, but you couldn't tell it was off-white. Y'all listen to me. You couldn't tell it was off-white until you put white up next to it and we get so comfortable, we come to church in our off-white 
We live our lives in our off-white and we think everything's gonna be okay, but listen, off-white's not gonna cut it when you're called into the presence of God. He's looking for a church that is holy, without spot and without blemish, washed in the blood of the Lamb. If he came tonight, would you be ready? Just because you're a member of this church won't make you ready. Being baptized won't make you ready. You can go to hell with baptismal waters on your face. You can go to hell with a church membership certificate in your pocket or an ordination certificate from the assemblies of God on your wall. There's only one way to be ready and Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. There is no other way to get to heaven but by Jesus Christ. Are you ready tonight? If the trumpet sounds, I want you to search your heart before we bring this service to a close. I want you to ask yourself this dynamic question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Second question. There's only three. Second question. Would you be satisfied with your works if Jesus came tonight? If Jesus came tonight, you went to heaven. The Bible says all of us that are Christians, talking to believers now, all of us that are Christians are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give account of our lives. The things we have done, whether they were good or bad. I'm not talking about for salvation now. I'm talking about the judgment of our works and he says some things will come forth like gold and silver tried in the fire. But other things will be like wood and hay and stubble and it'll be burned up. You see, it's not just important what you do. It's important why you did it. Because what you did, even though it was good, if you did it for selfish gain and motive, it's going to burn up. If Jesus came tonight and you look at your life, and you look at the things that you have done for God, would you be satisfied? When you stand there before him at the judgment seat of Christ, let me tell you, let me let, me, let, me let you in on this. He's not going to say, ooh, I saw that pass you threw in the high school football game. That was a, boy, that was a great pass that you threw. Oh, that catch, I, that's, that's not going to matter. He's not going to say, I saw that yard. I saw that. Oh, the garden club loved your yard. You have a beautiful yard. That ain't gonna matter. Y'all listen to me? That bumper sticker on your car says, my kid's an honor student at Albert Lee Junior High School. That's not gonna matter a bit. The things that we think are so important, the things that we oftentimes live our whole lives around, the things that we build our whole days and nights around, those things aren't gonna matter worth anything. It's what you did for Christ. My grandma had an old motto. Some of y'all's grandmas had them too. An old blue motto had silver glitter writing on it that said, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. You think about that. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. On Leonard Ravenhill's tombstone are the words, is the life you're living worth Jesus dying for? What about your works? If you stood before him, if he called you home tonight and you stood before him, would you say, I'm satisfied with what I did? I went to Austin Presbyterian Theological Cemetery. 
and earn my doctor's degree. It was a challenge. I'm telling you, it was a challenge. Everything they didn't believe in, I believed in. Everything I believed in, they didn't believe in. They had, they were pro-ERA, they were pro-abortion, they were pro-everything. I was there in class the night the Gulf War broke out and they had a candle lighting vigil for peace. I wanted to have a nuke them till they glow and shoot them in the dark party. You know what I'm saying? We, we were just, you couldn't get more opposite. I made it through the first courses and I'm down to my dissertation project. I've got to write this dissertation project and I chose to write it about a Pentecostal subject. I am a holy roller in a cemetery now. They assigned me a professor to be my advisor for my project who had never had a doctoral project before. He was brand new. He had graduated from Harvard with high honors. And I was his first student. Y'all put that in perspective. Supposedly you work through the program and you pick a professor that you've you bonded with and they help you through your program. I got this new guy and you talk about smart. Remember one day, this was back when those little juice boxes first came out. One day I had a meeting with him. It was close to noon and his wife dropped his little kids off and they had those little boxes and he spent the whole time that we were supposed to be meeting trying to figure out how to get the straw in the top of that box. Harvard with high honors. I did not like this guy. Let me tell you, I did not like this guy. We were not on the same page. We were not on the same planet. I'd work on my project. One Mary says, well, why don't you write about what Carl Bart thought about the Holy Spirit? I didn't even think Carl Bart knew there was a Holy Spirit, let alone what he thought about it. I had a hard time. Man, I struggled. One time during the middle of the project, lightning struck my computer and scrambled everything that I'd done and I started all over. And, and he would tell me, I remember one time he said, well, why don't you just start all over? Not, no, no thought whatsoever for the hours and weeks I'd put into this. Why don't you do this or why don't you do that? And, and he would constantly harass me and he'd say, why don't, you, why don't you change this and why don't you do that? And I, I got so frustrated with him. I called the dean of the school and I played the holy roller card. I said, he's picking on me because I'm conservative, you know. And I tried everything I could try. Finally, I told this guy, I said, listen, listen, I don't want to make an A. I've always been a very conscientious student, but I told this guy, I don't want to make an A. I don't want to make a B or C. You don't grade this project. I said, I want to know what I need to do to get this done. I want to finish this thing. And I worked and worked and worked. And finally comes the day for the review of my project. And he's there, this professor. Did I tell you I didn't like this guy? He's there, another professor's there, and one of my student peers is there. And they're going to evaluate my project. And they're going to, they're going to decide whether I pass or fail. There's no in-between. I walk in this little room with these four men including myself, I walk in this little room, four of us, and I'm going to walk out of there, Dr. Larry Martin, 
I'm going to walk out of there having wasted thousands of dollars and three years of my life. It's, it's, this is the moment. I was nervous. Hello? I walked in the room and I dreaded it so bad and I didn't, I didn't like this guy. And we sat down in a room, I'm sweating bullets. And he said, well, I want to kind of calm everybody's nerves. He said, I just want to tell you, before we get started, they're going to ask me all these questions. Before we get started, I want to tell you that I've passed you on this project. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> this guy is my best friend. Oh, doctor, I love you, man. I love you. Thank you so much. I realized when I walked out of there, I didn't think he liked me. I thought he was being unfairly mean to me. What I didn't realize was he didn't want to fail me. He wanted to pass me. The reason he was making it so hard on me is he wanted, he knew that day was coming that we were going to be in that little room and he didn't want to have to send me out of there with a project that would not meet his standard. He wanted me to have a project that would pass. And so he kept putting pressure on me and he kept pushing me and pushing me because he wanted me to succeed. And sometimes you think, oh, this being a Christian is so hard. You think, oh, God going to drag me through a knot hole backwards and I just can't take it anymore. God's not trying to fail you. He's trying to pass you. He's putting pressure on you. He's working things out of your life because he knows you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he wants to be able to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Don't you want to hear him say that? So what are you doing for heaven's sake? What are you doing for heaven's sake? What are you doing? What are you doing for Christ? What are you doing for eternity? What are you doing that will last forever because you will stand there. Give account of your life. Won't matter how big a house you lived in. It won't matter what kind of car you drove. It won't matter what you've got in your retirement account. None of that's going to matter. What did you do for Jesus? If it came tonight... Would you be satisfied? Would you say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm pleased? Because you see, there is no second chance. You don't get to heaven and say, you know, Lord, if you'd let me go back, I'd pay tithes. Oh, you got quite that time. Lord, if you'd let me go back, I'd try to be a witness and tell some people about Jesus. No, there's no, there's no going back. Only one chance. This is it. Oh, I've got to finish. Third question. If Jesus came tonight, would you go to heaven by yourself? Now, I know a lot of people going to heaven, but that's not what I mean. I mean, would you take somebody with you? Would you take somebody with you? If you've been saved for a year, two, 10, 20 years, how many people have you won to Christ? When you walk into heaven, are you going to say, Lord... Here's one that I brought with me. Here's one that I brought with me. Lord, here's another one that I brought with me. Or will you go and stand before the Lord and say, I didn't bring anybody, Lord. Dale Moody 
probably the greatest evangelist that ever lived. Not only a great mass crusade evangelist preacher preached to thousands, tens of hundreds of thousands, millions. But D.O. Moody made a commitment that he would never let a day pass that he didn't tell somebody about Jesus personally. One night he went to bed. It's a true story. Moody went to bed and laying in bed, he realized he hadn't told anybody about Jesus that day. And he got out of bed and put his clothes on, went to the door and it's pouring down rain. And he thought, well, I can't tell anybody about the Lord today. And about that time, a guy's coming by with an umbrella. And Moody runs out his door and gets under the guy's umbrella and said, would you share your shelter with me? And the guy said, yes. And Moody stood right there and told him about Jesus and won the man to Christ. That's right. Had a little girl, you love this story. Had a little girl he had told, asked to come to Sunday school and she told him that she would come to his Sunday school. And she didn't come. And Moody saw her on the street. Now Moody's a portly guy. He's, he's, he's ate a lot of fried chicken. And Moody sees this girl on the street and he runs after her. And she took off running. This little girl took off running as hard as she could. And Moody chased her down the street. She turned down an alley and he chased her down the alley. She ran into a saloon and he's right behind her. Here's Moody chasing her. She runs out the back door and runs up a flight of stairs and runs into her apartment and slides under the bed. And Moody comes right behind her, runs up the stairs, goes in the house, reaches under the bed, grabs her by the leg and pulls her out and said, I told you to come to Sunday school. You do that today, you'll get arrested. But D.L. Moody did that. In the book back there, Why God Used D.L. Moody, Reuben Torrey's given, Reuben's given Moody's funeral message and he's told this story in that, if I remember right, it's in that book. And he said, that day when Moody pulled that little girl out from under that bed, he pulled a whole family out of hell. Her brothers, her mother, the whole family came to Jesus serving God. Who are you going to take to heaven with you? Why was Moody such a soul winner? He said when he got saved, the Lord showed him that the world was an ocean and everybody in it was drowning. And the Lord said, Moody, here's a lifeboat. Save as many people as you can. That's all he expects of you tonight. Save as many as you can. Albert Lee, Minnesota's full of people that's drowning, going to a devil's hell. He gave you a lifeboat. Save somebody. Save somebody. Save as many as you can. Reach somebody for Jesus. I was pastoring. I'm really about to close. I was pastoring and a lady in the church said to me, she said, Pastor, I don't want Jesus to come back because I've got loved ones that are lost. And I thought about that, you know. How do you reconcile that? Nobody wants their loved ones to be left behind in the rapture. And I was praying about that because, you see, the Bible says we should pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come. So how do you reconcile that, that we've got loved ones that are lost? And I was praying about it, and the Lord spoke to me. You might not like what I felt like he said to me, but this is what he said. He said, if you've done everything you can do to win your loved ones for Christ, then there's nothing else you can do. Right? But if you haven't done everything you could do, how could you ask Jesus to tarry his coming to give you more time to do what you had time to do and didn't do already? 
What if Jesus came tonight? Would you be ready? Would you be satisfied with your works? Would you go to heaven by yourself? Heard a story years ago. Guy was on a farm and he needed some help. So he's going to hire a man to help him with the farm and he advertises he needs help. And, and only one prospective employee shows up. Just one guy comes looking for the job. And so the farmer's going to interview this guy and he asked him, he said, well, do, do you know anything about chickens? And the guy said, no, sir. I really don't know anything about chickens. But I know how to sleep really well in a storm. Farmer looks at him. You know, he thinks maybe he's three disciples short of a Lord's Supper, if you know what I'm saying. He said, well, do you know anything about cows? He said, no, sir. I can't say I know anything about cows, but I sure know how to sleep well when it comes to storm. Well, do you know anything about farming? No, no. I, I can't say I know anything about farming, but I know how to sleep well in a storm. Nobody else there, no choice. The farmer hires him to see if he can work out. One night the farmer's in bed. Here's the thunder rolling in the distance. Jumps out the bed and looks out the window. Sees lightning crashing across the sky and sees dark. Dark clouds in the lightning. It's going to be a bad storm. And the farmer thinks, oh, storm's coming. I, I got to run down and cover the hay. Comes a big rain. I don't want the hay to rot. So he goes out to the haystack and he's going to cover the hay and the hay's already covered and he thought well that's odd he said well at least I, I'm going to get the chickens in the chicken house get them in the chicken coop might be some hell in that storm I'd hate for it to kill the chickens and he goes and calls for the chickens and no chickens where's the chickens and he went to the chicken coop and all the chickens are in the coop the door's shut he said well got to get the cows in the barn and starts calling for the cows and no cows come and he went in the barn and there were the cows all, every one of them stalled right in the barn where they belong he thought man this is all odd he got to the back of the barn and there was the guy he had hired you guessed it sound asleep sound asleep the farmer shook him said wake up storm's coming he said yeah I know I told you I know how to sleep well in a storm. You know why he was asleep? Because he'd already taken care of the, fire, the hay. He'd already taken care of the chickens. He'd already taken care of the cows. He'd done everything that needed to be done. So he'd go to bed that night and sleep while the storm was coming. There's a storm coming. Hear me, church, there's a storm coming. The dark clouds are all around us. If you listen, you'll hear the roll of thunder. There's a storm coming. Can you sleep well in this storm? Would you bow your heads? <coughs> Father, I thank you tonight for the attentive audience that have listened to every word you've given me to say. Lord, I have to the best of my ability shared the message that you gave to me tonight. I've done all I know to do. The result of the message is in your hands, Lord. I'm asking you to take the words that you gave me and speak them like burning ember 
in the heart of every man and woman here. I pray for those in this room that are not ready to meet you. I pray that before they leave, they will be ready and know that they're ready. Lord, I pray for believers like me that haven't done all we could for you. I pray, God, that if you give us a day tomorrow that we'll do more than we've done today. And I pray that each person in this room that you would lay some soul upon their heart. I pray that each man and each woman in this room that you will lay some soul upon their heart. Maybe a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, maybe a neighbor, maybe a stranger, but you'll lay some soul upon their heart and let them do their best to win that soul for you. In Jesus' name I pray.